Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, good evening, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. And this is End Abortion U.S., one of our programs here on endabortion.tv. Glad that you're with us tonight. I have the privilege to join you live, and uh, my schedule doesn't always allow that, but here we are, and I can see your uh, comments right here, uh, right next to me on my uh, computer here. So feel free to uh, voice your thoughts, ask your questions, and give your input, uh, and uh, we always welcome that. I want to talk tonight about some, um, just some, a few thoughts uh, to help guide our, our activities in the pro-life movement at this point in time, which is a very crucial one for the movement for many different reasons, uh, many of which you're well aware of. But let's turn to the Lord first in prayer. And I like to use my book, Pro-Life Reflections for Every Day. And uh, let's see what uh, we read here in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. People brought children to Jesus so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. Reflection. The apostles mistakenly thought that Jesus didn't have the time for the children, that they were not important enough for his attention, and that they were a distraction from his mission. But instead, Jesus indicates that they, the children, are at the heart of his mission. Let us pray. Lord, the kingdom belongs to children. Grant that we may treat them accordingly. Amen. It's poignant, isn't it, to, to read this particular passage in the midst of everything that is happening right now because the terrorism that is taking place in the Holy Land, we have seen the beheading of children. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear the... Um, secular media and uh, politicians who are pro-abortion say, uh, you know, isn't this terrible, the beheading of children? Now, it is, and and none of this is meant to, you know, take away from the crucial importance of, of paying attention to what's happening over there. But at the same time, we're talking about the beheading of children all the time. In abortion clinics, and, and it's not just a figure of speech. When you read the medical textbooks on how abortion is done, you read, for example, abortionist Warren Hearn and his textbook called Abortion Practice. I should have brought it in here. I got it right over there in my room. Um, he calls it decapitation. Here's a guy doing abortions, teaching others how to do abortions, writing a medical textbook about abortion, and he calls it decapitation. He's chopping heads off babies, using a long mayo scissors, as they're called. He's decapitating children, and it's legal activity in the United States of America. How do we have this disconnect? One of the reasons, of course, it's the same kind of disconnect that we have with, you know, people are, are awakened And I was just with Jim Caviezel the other night. Uh, We had a long dinner together and uh, with a couple of other people, including Bishop Joseph Strickland from uh, Tyler, Texas. And uh, uh, 
you know, this movie Sound of Freedom that I know that most of you have seen has awakened many people to the evil of child trafficking and an evil indeed it is. But as Eduardo Verastegui and I were also uh, talking about recently, uh, Eduardo has been a friend for many years, the awakening of conscience that we hope would happen through a movie like Sound of Freedom is not complete unless the conscience is also awakened to the evil being perpetrated on those very same children when they are in the womb. The awakening of conscience is not complete unless we embrace the children at every stage of their, of their lives. And to be horrified at the beheading of children or the, or the, or the enslavement of children, the, the abuse of children outside the womb, and not be horrified by the abuse of children inside the womb or the beheading of children by abortion is a, a terrible disconnect of conscience. And, and it, it, it prevents us from having the full healing uh, that God wants us to, uh, to have. Um, so let's see some of the, some of the comments here are coming in. Um, uh, abortions are a great money uh, greed for all those invo involved. Planned Parenthood is a lie. And you know, a lot of their money, of course, ends up going into the campaigns of the very politicians that keep this stuff uh, legal. I was in Pennsylvania yesterday for the March for Life. Uh, you know, there are these various state marches going on, and maybe some of you were there at the March for Life in Pennsylvania. You know, one of the people I was uh, with for a while in the crowd was Doug Mastriano. I don't know if you recognize that name, but he ran uh, for governor of Pennsylvania in uh, back in the midterm elections. Uh, unfortunately, the pro-abortion Democrat uh, got that seat, Josh Shapiro. And, uh, you know, a number of the speeches that were made at the rally uh, yesterday there in Pennsylvania and a number of the concerns that were voiced have to do with that pro-abortion radical governor. And his unilateral action that he took to cut off funding for a program that's been in place for decades in Pennsylvania called Real Alternatives. This is where a certain amount of government funding is going to uh, alternatives to abortion. And people were there marching yesterday who run the pregnancy centers day after day across the, the Commonwealth of uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, they were saying to me, you know, we received, I don't know, they were saying something like 140 thousand dollars and, and you know I mean great uh, sums of money uh, each year that are um, uh, that, that have been going to save lives and now this pro-abortion governor says oh no no more I'm just gonna cut I'm just gonna cut that off uh, there were scores of legislators there I mean scores of them I talked to a number of them as well from different parts of Pennsylvania and uh, they filled and overflowed the stage that was set up. They are right in front of the Capitol in Harrisburg. He wouldn't pass it through them because these are pro-life people who understand protecting babies and then helping the moms find alternatives to abortion go hand in hand. And the other side wants to criticize us for not being the compassionate ones that wants to criticize us for not taking care of these, of these moms. 
they're the ones cutting the funding to go to alternatives to abortion. So they they can't, they have no moral authority, the other side, to say anything about us and our attitude towards these moms. Oh, you don't help the moms. Oh, you got to help the moms. Oh, you got to appreciate the circumstances that, that they're in. What about you? Cutting off the money for the pregnancy centers. What kind of compassion does that uh, does that show? I mean, this is this is really we got to use this as a as a talking point, and we've got to be firm about it. So that was yesterday in Pennsylvania. You know, the pro-abortion people are trying a couple of other things brewing there on the abortion front. The uh, pro-abortion legislators are trying to pass a bill now, Bodily Autonomy Act, to take away all the good pro-life protections that are there in in, in Pennsylvania. Now, the Abortion Control Act. Uh, which was litigated in the Supreme Court in 1992. That was the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision, which was overturned in by the Dobbs case, along with Roe v. Wade. But Casey had been for a long time a guiding precedent on uh, abortion cases, kept Roe v. Wade alive, almost overturned it, but 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 uh, also changed it and weakened it, but kept it alive. Casey, I I knew him actually, he was a a pro-life governor of Pennsylvania who was Democrat. And, you know, in the days that I knew him was right when I was starting with with Priest for Life and right after the Supreme Court Casey decision. And he... uh, he was not allowed to speak at the Democrat National Convention that year because he was pro-life. And so that's when, you know, I mean, the Democrat Party had already become pro-abortion, but that's when we saw that things were really getting bad and they didn't even want, they didn't even want the likes of Governor Casey to have anything to say. And he said, you know, don't those of us in the party who are pro-life have a voice? That was, that was Governor Casey's uh, complaint. And uh, he wrote about it. You check out his... Uh, his autobiography. Um, he was a great guy. Uh, unfortunately, his, his son, Senator Bob Casey, is nothing like him and uh, has abandoned his uh, pro-life uh, convictions. But um, yeah, people yesterday who were talking about the uh, the pro-abortion fanaticism of Josh Shapiro were longing for the days of the the Governor Casey's, and you know, there and there aren't any anymore. And there are pro-life governors, of course. But there aren't any more uh, pro-life Democrat uh, governors. In fact, well, there was the the, the outgoing governor of Louisiana <clears throat> did some good, uh, took some good pro-life uh, measures. But again, the exception proves the rule. I mean, it, the the, vanish, the vanishing pro-life Democrats, right on the on the state, at least on the statewide and federal level. Now, sometimes you'll get state representatives in various uh, places uh, who are who are still. Uh, pro-life, but uh, my goodness, um, they, they, they are few, few, fewer and fewer. Um, let's see, uh, Jan is asking, uh, do you think the abortion amendment is coming from outside influence? We are in a red state, and I don't hear much on killing babies. Okay, so there are these abortion amendments being introduced in various states. Uh, Marie is mentioning... Um, 
Ohio, of course, is the is the hot button right now. Uh, praying no uh, for issue one. Issue one in Ohio. We're doing a lot against that as well. Yeah, what the pro-abortion people do is they bring in the influence from out of uh, the state and the influences that are already outside the state from the national pro-abortion level are pushed onto those states. This is for sure. And, and what we're trying to do in the pro-life movement is replicate the national to state uh, effort. What I mean is no battle in the states like the amendment battle that Ohio is facing now. And then there are like eight other states that the other side wants to try to target for the 2024 cycle. Um, none of these state battles should be battles that only that state is expected to handle. Uh, the whole movement nationwide needs to jump in and help. So all of you that are joining me now on all these different platforms and uh, know uh, what's going on in these states, you know, you can help too. You can help make phone calls. Uh, you can help, uh, I mean, the information you spread on social media can be seen, obviously, by people in Ohio. You might know people there or might know others who know people there. Have them remind those people about what this ballot initiative is. Uh, we have to vote no on issue one in Ohio. That's the the uh, the message. Now, I wrote an article for the Gateway Pundit. I don't know how many of you read the Gateway Pundit. Um, and I wrote an article over there the other day talking about some key points to keep in mind about these ballot uh, uh, these ballot initiatives. And, and one of them is, you know, it shows not the strength. It shows the weakness. It shows the cowardice of the abortion movement. And, and we've, got to, we've got to be repeating this narrative. Um, and what do I mean by it shows, their, it shows their weakness? Well, brothers and sisters, they're afraid of the legislative process. Now in Pennsylvania, uh, and I wrote by the way, that some of the reflections I was talking about about Pennsylvania, if you read Life News, lifenews.com, I have an article in there about the Pennsylvania March as I was just uh, discussing in that pro-abortion law that has been introduced. You see, in Pennsylvania, the pro-abortion people said, let's introduce a law. Let's introduce a bill. Well, when you introduce a bill, of course, it has to be debated. And there's got to be hearings. And there can be amendments. And people can lobby their lawmakers and present information and urge them to change their minds. And there's a whole process. There's a timetable. There are arguments back and forth. You can examine what the proposal really means. They don't do as well with legislation as they do with ballot initiatives. Because ballot initiatives, you're, you're, you're compressing the whole process. And one day people are going to you know, decide by their vote. And they may, I call it soundbite voting. What did they hear about? How much do they know about the amendment? Maybe they're reading it for the first time when they get into the, into the voting booth or, or, or somebody told them, oh yeah, this preserves your reproductive rights. Well, what in the world does that mean? Oh, you have the right you know, to make your reproductive decisions free from government interference. Well, that sounds, that sounds good. What does it actually mean? It means that the abortions that are beheading babies Viable babies, babies that can live outside the womb, cannot, those babies cannot be protected anymore by the people. This is what, what this reproductive rights for everybody means. 
that you can't even protect a viable baby from being beheaded. Now, two questions. Number one, how many of the voters know that that's what it means? And number two, knowing what that means, how many, how many think that's a good idea? These ballot initiatives pass through the bypassing of the legislative process, the bypassing of any process that would get people to stop and think about these things. And this leads me to another, uh, it's a piece of advice that I've been giving more and more recently, and, and, and I think we really have got to um, emphasize this more strongly. Have you noticed how so many, uh, what we're talking about, pro-life billboards, literature, advertisements, social media posts. I mean, we do it ourselves to a certain extent, but I'm going to start getting our organization away from, away from this. Um, we're talking about the unborn, right? We're talking about the babies in the womb. We want to educate people about those babies. We want to prevent violence against those babies. We want to affirm the personhood of those babies. And yet when we talk about them, we show pictures not of the unborn babies, but of the born babies. Now, of course, we show pictures of the unborn too. And this is not a this is not a clean, absolute statement I'm making. But on balance, notice how often we're showing the unborn, we're showing the born. Now everybody knows what a born baby looks like. Many people don't know what an unborn baby looks like, especially at a particular stage of development. The baby is far better developed far earlier on in the pregnancy than most people realize. If we're going to defend the unborn, well, let's show the unborn. And you know, this, this was a nagging thing, you know, in my, in, in my mind uh, for a long time. And, 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 I've always advocated showing what abortion does to the baby, and we've always advocated, you know, having even better imagery of the unborn than the ultrasound. Now, the unique thing about the ultrasound, of course, somebody can look at that and say, this is my baby, not just a baby or an unborn child, but mine. And so there's a bond there. But there's even better imagery than ultrasound, and you go to our, uh, our special website, childrenbeforebirth.com. Uh, go there, friends, and you'll see there's a new app called See Baby Grow. We've talked about that. See Baby Grow. Get that app. You'll see video footage of the unborn child like you can never see anywhere else. And it is amazing. Um, but the point I'm making is, you know, how many times, again, do we see, do we use born children? Now, you look at a born baby, not only do people know what a born baby looks like, but for the mom who's considering an abortion, or for the person who's advocating for the right to abortion, that's exactly the outcome that they don't want. We know that a pregnancy brought to term is going to result in a born baby. But that's exactly what the person tempted to have the abortion does not want. What we've got to show her is what the baby looks like right now, the baby you're about to kill. So... We're going to do everything we can to get more imagery of the unborn child. I believe we need more imagery of the babies. But there is a lot out there, and you'll see a lot of it on childrenbeforebirth.com. But I want to give this as a, as a crucial piece of advice for the pro-life movement at this point in time. For goodness sake, 
Let's show the baby. Now, here's the amazing thing that happens. I was even in communication recently. I won't, I won't name names here, but a, a very, very strong, friendly, conservative publication. And uh, if you look at childrenbeforebirth.com, uh, you'll see that there are these images. I've shown them to you before that you see the unborn child even like at seven weeks. And it's, it's imagery put together by a process that NASA uses to take pictures of the Earth, near-Earth imagery. Um, they take a, a intensive, high-intensity photo of a small portion of the Earth's surface. And then another high-intensity photo of a of an adjoining portion of the Earth's surface, and then they stitch them together. You're not manufacturing the photo; you're just putting together many different photos in order to make the composite image. You're not making up anything. You're not doctoring anything. So similarly, if you go into the into the womb with a scope of some kind to take a high-intensity photo. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. It's not a, not a whole, not a whole lot of space to move around. So you take a, a picture of a small portion of the baby's body, and then another picture of the adjoining portion of the baby's body. So that ultimately, you cover the the whole child. You can get a pretty strong image of what the child looks like. That's what this process is about. So I wanted to take one of those photos, and we had the money to pay for a full-page ad to show this baby. What do you think I'm about to say? They wouldn't take the ad. You know, these publications are businesses. I understand that. But isn't it amazing that we're at a point in our society where we're not even talking about the picture of an abortion. We're talking about the picture of a baby. And people don't want to show it and they don't want to see it. And this goes back to my previous point. We're defending the unborn. Let's show the unborn. And as soon as you start doing that, never mind with the arguments about, oh, the pictures of abortion are graphic and they're ugly and they're bloody and they're going to traumatize people. Okay, then. I, 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 I believe in showing them anyway. That's a whole different set of arguments. But then well, let's just talk about showing the baby. Live, whole, intact, beautiful. And you'll be amazed at the pushback you get. And this was not the first time this has happened to us. That we were ready and willing and had the money in hand to pay for an ad to show the unborn child, show what the baby looks like. Oh, no, 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 no. Because we're going to upset our readers. Oh, what a point we have arrived at. What in the world is going on here? What a point we have arrived at. In our societal soul, we feel so much guilt, and we should, over what's happening to the unborn and our failure to protect them, our failure to acknowledge them, that we can't even bear, we can't even bear to look look at them. We can't even bear to look at them. I mean, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, uh, Anne is saying, I was hoping we could learn how. Let me put this comment up there. 
hoping we could learn how to make age enhancement photo of a baby in the womb and pregnant women could see what their babies will look like if they let them live. Ah, yes. Hard to choose abortion, possibly make a complete change of heart for many, many others. Yeah, I saw one of those uh, uh, recently too. And uh, that is certainly possible to do. Um, very, very interesting uh, thing to explore, you know, with those who are uh, competent in that technology. Uh, what would your baby look like, uh, you know, at uh, 14 years old, 17 years old? Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, let me see here. Yuka, I remember Father Frank has been saying, America needs to see the unborn baby to believe it is an unborn baby. Absolutely. Seeing, seeing it, seeing is believing, seeing the baby is knowing the baby. And seeing an abortion is knowing an abortion. You know, I'm often quoted in saying America will never reject abortion until America sees abortion. Of course, not just America, the whole world. It's more and more crucial than ever before. And that's another crucial piece of advice I always have for the, uh, the pro-life movement. Um, but back on these amendments, you know, it's very, very important for us to keep our, our, keep our eyes on the prize here. You know, these, the other side knows that they can get a lot of these, these victories for these amendments. It, but you know what? They're empty victories. I mean, yes, they put these, the, these provisions in place. I'll be speaking in Michigan a couple of times in the next few weeks, actually. I'll be going up there for a legislative uh, um, update luncheon uh, a week from, from Saturday, and then I'm going to be going again for the Michigan March for Life, which is November 8th. And I mentioned Michigan because, you know, they had the, uh, the pro-abortion amendment passed uh, there on the ballot initiative. But it's a hollow victory. I mean, it puts, it puts a, a terrible policy in place that, uh, that then is, is, is um, restricting uh, the, the, the ability of people to protect the, the unborn. But it's not going to stand. And the reason is, again, it is built on lies. Because the never has there been a finding, a survey, a poll that indicates majority support among the American people for unrestricted abortion. So there's no way for these kinds of amendments to pass unless the voters specifically do not know what it is that they have just voted for. Well, brothers and sisters, our movement has to make sure they find out. And as they find out what it is that they have voted for, we have got to make that known in such a way that people begin to create the backlash and say, okay, wait a second. what? It's time to pull this thing back. You know, you put an amendment in the Constitution, you can also take it out. You can also change it. You can also challenge it. And I believe that this is what's going to happen. We're taking the long route here now instead of the short one. The shorter, shorter route is defeat these things to begin with. But there's so the power of deception and the power of the, you know, the slick advertisement. And like I said before, I call it soundbite voting is such that um, it's very easy. And, 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 you know, this is this is what our founders were afraid of when they talked about factions, when they were drafting the Constitution and then ratifying it. They said, you know, our Constitution has a lot of checks and balances in it because we're afraid of factions that, you know, 
people can come along and whip people up into a frenzy and even get a majority of people going in the wrong direction, ultimately a direction that's not good for the people, good for the country. Uh, and how do you guard against that? Uh, and sometimes that'll happen, but you, we have safeguards against that. And that's why we have a, a, a rather involved legislative process. And that's why we also have divided government. That, uh, that courts can put a check on what legislatures can do. Legislatures can put a check on what courts can do. The executive can either pass, sign or veto legislation. The legislature can override a veto. There's all kinds of, in going in all directions, the checks and the balances. And the, then you have the Electoral College, which, uh, of course, protects us against factions in our, um, in our elections. And even with these ballot measures, if you look carefully at what's required in a state, uh, for these to pass. Of course, each state is different. State laws are different. But, but a lot of times, and this is including in Ohio, it's not just the absolute majority of citizens voting for or against a particular measure that makes it pass or fail. It's got to be a certain amount of citizens from all the different parts of the state or from a lot of the different parts of the state. That's sort of a reflection on the state level of what the Electoral College does on the, on the federal level. You can't have just New York and California and Illinois deciding our elections. You can't just have the big cities choosing our president. You know, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, you got massive populations when you combine three cities like that. It's only three cities. What about the rest of them? What about, I, th I think the, the, the statistic is that over half the people live in about nine states. And it's like, the election, if you elect a president, he's going to be, he or she's going to be president of 50 states. And so you have to make sure that the voices of all the states somehow are heard. That's why in the Senate, every state, no matter how big, no matter how small, gets two senators, no more, no less. And the House of Representatives, of course, is different because that, then that does depend on, the, on the, the districts and how many districts you have based on the population, based on the census every 10 years. But the point is there are these mechanisms in, in, in our Constitution that allow for the guarantee that the voices of people in, in Iowa, Mississippi, um, you know, Louisiana, and, uh, uh, are going to have just as much sway as in New York, California, and Illinois. Speaking of Louisiana, by the way, we also had uh, election day just the other day. Louisiana's on; it's got its own schedule, and and it's got this jungle primary, uh, as it's called, where uh, you know if somebody doesn't get uh, more than fifty percent of the vote, you have to have a runoff. But the governor's race, all right, one of the important twenty twenty three races, was won by the attorney general of Louisiana, Jeff Landry. You may have seen my social media post. I know him. We uh, uh, had a good uh, time together in Washington at the time when, uh, back in, two, uh, back in uh, 2020, the um, Supreme Court heard the case coming out of Louisiana about abortion clinic regulations. So he was defending that law, of course, in his capacity as attorney general. And I uh, really got a chance to see what a, a pro-life champion he is. So I was really, really happy about his victory. Uh, and uh, this puts, of course, again, Louisiana, like I said before, had the, uh, the exception rather than the rule of a Democrat pro-life governor, but now you've got a Republican pro-life governor, and it's a trifecta now. So this is one of the, uh, 
the Republicans have more trifectas around the country than Democrats do, where you've got the executive uh, branch and then both houses of the legislative branch under the same party. And um, hopefully Virginia will become a, a, a trifecta this year, too, if we can get that um, Virginia Senate to uh, flip from Democrat to Republican, which is a possibility. Uh, so voters in Virginia, make sure that uh, you're doing everything possible uh, to do that. Let me just uh, see some final comments here before we have to go. Um, all right, some of you are talking about. Uh, yeah, Michael is a good question, right? Why would anyone kill a precious baby? Debbie uh, saying that the blessings uh, of the child are raising with the whole family. Um, Carol talking about our college uh, groups. Our so-called Catholic colleges won't allow pro-life clubs or groups. We are in an extremely sad state of life. Uh, you know, in, re in regard to that, we've got cancel culture in the church gone absolutely wild. And that's another manifestation of that. And we've got to call them out on it. When you've got these institutions that were founded in order to advance the values of the gospel and the teachings of the faith and the teachings of the church, actually blocking pro-life clubs, they're politically motivated. These, these institutions. It's the same thing with a, con, you know, a conservative publication not wanting to show uh, the picture of an unborn baby. Because it's like, rather than taking a courageous stand on such an important matter and saying, look, we're ready to take the heat. We know it's going to come. We know the opposition. We know the complaints are going to come. Rather than standing up and saying, okay, we're ready to take that, they'll try to find the easy way out, except that it's hurtful to the people that are trying to form the pro-life group or speak the pro-life message or purchase the pro-life ad. And this boils down to another key, crucial piece of, of advice I give to the pro-life movement. Understand that if you defend the unborn, you are going to be treated like the unborn. You will be shunned. You will be excluded, sidelined. You may be fired from your job, and you may get kicked out of the priesthood. If you stand too strong too loud, too vocal, too political for the unborn, that will happen. You know what? Here we stand. So be it. When we know something that is right, there, you, you, there is, no, there is no, 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 there's no two ways about it. When you know something that is right. Now, if you're not sure that it's right, we look for the guidance from others. We take a stance of, you know, Lord, please enlighten me. And that's got to govern everything that we do. But once we come to the conclusion, we know what is right. Take the stand and stand 
and stay put and keep on that track and don't take any garbage from anybody. anybody. Uh, but if you, you defend the unborn, you're going to be treated like the unborn. And that's what we see in these kinds of cancel activities on the part of um, so many in the uh, even in uh, even in the church. Um, Ah, so Phyllis is asking an important question here. Father, with you and so many, many others working for the abolishing of abortion, are the numbers of abortions decreasing in our country? Yes, they have been decreasing for quite a few years, praise God. Uh, in fact, it was in the late 80s, early 90s that they, the numbers peaked. You know, they peaked at 1.6 million a year. And now it's about a million a year. I mean, <laughs> it's way, way, way way, way too many. One is too many, as we all know. But right now, the abortion statistics are in a serious state of flux. And I think it's going to be another couple of years before we have a really clear picture of whether, of, 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 of are we still declining? There's been some evidence of a little bit of an uptick. But I say that the ground is very shaky right now uh, for the following reason, and then I'll give you a place where you can go to keep a tr keep track of these statistics. First of all, we have, because of the Dobbs case, we've got a lot of, of states that have now said no more abortion, right? And so we've got, uh, and remember, we get, the, we get the national abortion statistics in two ways. States, with a couple of exceptions, states will report through their health departments to the Centers for Disease Control the numbers of abortions. So now you've got over a dozen states that have said no more abortion, then you've got other states that have, that have like in, in Florida here, that have passed laws you know, limiting the numbers of abortions that are legal. Now, at the same time, you have two other phenomena happening. People, for example, in Texas who can't get an abortion in Texas because they have very protective legislation have New Mexico right next to them that has unlimited abortion. So are people going over the, the, the border? Well, of course, not all, but a good number will go and, and just get the same abortion, but in a different state. So we're going to see the statistics get kind of messed up because it's like, okay, this state had this many abortions, but how many people came there from out of state, the abortions in that state went up. Yeah, but that's because, not because they went up nationally, but because people came into that state from elsewhere, became a destination state, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll hear that certain states, the number went up. Uh, other states, it went drastically down, practically to zero. Um, and then, of course, there's the chemical abortions. Uh, there's been a strong, strong rise in the number of these chemical abortions. And it's and then you're going to have, you know, some of these pharmacies selling them. It's going to be harder to get the statistics clear and straight. Um, so statistics are in a bit of a flux right now. But praise God, the overall trend has been, and very strongly so, that the numbers have been declining. Uh, again, we may not have a good read on where we stand in it for a couple of years yet because, you know, the statistics, uh, they, they're, they're slow in coming. They're, they take time to put together. You've got the Centers for Disease Control, and you've also got the Allen Guttmacher Institute that gets the, gets the statistics from going directly to the abortion facilities. You can keep track of all this at priestforlife.org slash statistics, priestforlife.org slash statistics, and you will have um, 
not only a sense there of the numbers, but also we keep track on that page of the various opinion polls that come out of the attitudes of the American people towards abortion. So thanks, Phyllis, for a very important question. And then we've got Monica. We in Connecticut are working hard for the pro-life movement. Father, keep us in your prayers. I certainly will. Not only in my prayers. You know, I grew up right by the border of Connecticut, Porchester, New York, right on the border with Greenwich, Connecticut. And and I'm going to be, um, uh, you know, I, I was supposed to come to the, we were talking about the Marches for Life, Pennsylvania, and now coming up Michigan. I was supposed to go to the Connecticut March for Life uh, a few months ago. And I told some of you that I was coming and ended up getting a flat tire uh, and couldn't make it there. But the um, the uh, uh, there are a number of pregnancy centers that I'm going to be visiting uh, over there in Connecticut sometime soon. And I know that you're, you know, even in a even in a very blue state uh, and we have uh, too many blue states around the country. The pro-life movement is on fire and is strongly passionate. And I know that and appreciate that great work. Uh, let me see one more, one or two more comments, and then we will uh, we will uh, conclude for the evening. Um, yeah, as always, you know, I always get comments, concern about the uh, about the Pope. Uh, my goodness, uh, yes, many problems in the church. Um, this past Saturday, Debbie says, "I prayed with forty days for life." Saw a grandma bring her young granddaughter in for an abortion. The young lady was crying, walking to the car, and the grandma yelled at us. This, you know, I've always felt that this is one of the saddest things that you see in front of an abortion facility and one of the most unjust things. Because what is a grandparent, what is a parent, what is a grandparent supposed to be doing? Like scripture says, teach your children the ways of the Lord. Age experience is supposed to bring wisdom gray hair white hair is supposed to symbolize a little bit more wisdom character and strength that we're then able to put a safeguard around our young people and their choices and the pressures they face and the pulls that of temptation that the world puts on them and in a scene like you just described there that i've also seen many times you see just the opposite playing out. It's a disgrace. Just the opposite. Where you've got a parent or a grandparent pulling that young lady to an act that she's going to suffer from for the rest of her life. It's the opposite of wisdom. It's the complete inversion of what parenting and grandparenting are supposed to be. It's a disgrace. So, yeah, let's pray. In fact, let's go into prayer now as we uh, conclude. And Lord, we, we, we pray for all those that are tempted to have abortions, and we pray for that. Oh, that mom, that grandmother in particular, Lord, and she yelled at the pro-life people, trying to save her too from a lifetime of of shame and regret, because that shame and regret will come. And we will be vindicated. Lord, we pray for all the all the, the, the people in front of these places for the 40 Days for Life and 
other kinds of gatherings, and we thank you, Lord, for their witness and for their perseverance and for the the spirit with which they speak and the love and compassion that they show. Bless our entire movement, Lord. Bless those that are working against these amendments. Bless those that are showing who the unborn child is. Bless those that are showing what an abortion is. Bless those who are preparing to vote and mobilize other voters in, in, in countless ways, on countless levels, to be able to advance the protection of life. And together now we pray, Lord God, for all the intentions of everyone watching us now, and we pray in the words that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray to our Heavenly Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Well, God bless you, friends. Good to be with you tonight. And, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep in contact with our ministry and all the things we're doing, our main website, endabortion.us. So thank you. Greetings from all our team, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much, and be assured of our daily prayers for you. Hello, I'm Evangelist Alveda King with a very important message regarding the elections. On every level, it's very important that our leaders believe that in God we trust and that we are and must remain one nation under God. Let's take it one step further and say that we should be teaching that we're not even separate races. We are one blood, according to Acts 17:26. One blood and one human race. Abortion is such a threat to America, to the baby in the womb, to the health of the mother, to the relationship of the father and the mother, to the relationship of the family, and then into all areas of life in our nation. But we can do something about it. I urge all our followers and our communities to vote for life. Your vote matters. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.